Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Trash Cinema. I am your host, Michael. My guest this week is Kersey. How's it going, Kersey? It's going pretty good. How you doing? All right, hopefully this time it'll take. Uh, listeners at home won't know that I screwed up the first recording, so wee, here we go again! All right, let's do this. <laughs> Uh, this week we'll be discussing two movies by Peter Jackson. His first two movies, in fact. Uh, I think they're really exciting, crazy energy. We're going to be discussing Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles. And uh, I was thinking, I was, I was thinking that you know, as he goes on with his career, he's becoming safer and safer. And I think, honestly, kind of boring now. I can't yeah, get through the Hobbit. <laughs> I can't get through the Hobbit or the Lovely Bones. Yeah, that was kind of the weird one about uh, the Hobbit. From I mean, I haven't watched. Uh, I was very uh, disillusioned by the Lord of the Rings series, so I didn't even get a chance to watch The Hobbit. And from what people told me, like the first uh, Hobbit movie was so great, they're like, oh, you don't even need to be a fan to enjoy it. And then like all my friends who loved The Hobbit said they hated the last one. Uh, I'll say this. I love Lord of the Rings. The trilogy to me is second. Uh, I think Back to the Future is the greatest trilogy than this. I know that's insane. No one else agrees with me. But uh, yeah. Lord yeah. of the Rings, is, I think, is really great. Uh, and then I got to The Hobbit, and I was like, what's going on? This book is like the size of like a Peanuts gallery book, you know, like, uh, yeah. it, like what is it, 120 pages or something insane? Yeah, it was really small. And he padded it so much with other stuff, like from The Similarian and whatnot, and it turned into three movies. It doesn't need to be three movies. In fact, when I watched The Hobbit, I've tried twice now. I cannot get past the first hour. I can't do it. Yeah, you know what? I saw the play of The Hobbit when I was a kid. Um, uh, this is obviously before the movies came out. Yeah. Uh, and they did a play, and it was pretty accurate from what I heard to the book, and they did that in about an hour. I just don't get it. It should have been one movie, at most two, and if he wanted to do something with the rest of the books, he should have just called it like The Chronicles of Tolkien or something like that, you know, like an anthology film. Yeah, that would work. Ugh, but it's too late now. We have to sit through nine hours of walking. More walking, talking, sitting around. Oh God, everybody looks the same. This sucks. Well, it, that's weird that you would say that you would say that because that's how I view Lord of the Rings. It's I know. Just... I don't know why. Maybe it caught me at that right moment. But I think there's a lot. Uh, the first one is a little slow, but it's the second and third one that just I think are really fast paced. I'm very much on the Kevin Smith side. Of, it's just a bunch of walking, and that's about it. Yeah. How much more of a? They look know. pretty. They look pretty. They they do they do look great. I have to admit, they look pretty fantastic. All right, so let's go back to the beginning of his career, before King Kong. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, before the confusion of Frighteners. I actually like Frighteners, but there's moments that irritate me to no end. But he still had that crazy energy. Yeah, that's accurate. His first two movies are really independent, low budget, and I would say epitomized trash cinema. Really oh. great, smart trash cinema. You know, you don't feel guilty watching it, but at the same time, you know you're watching something really off-kilter. Yeah, it's the, especially, uh, we know what I was going to say, especially Bad Taste, but the more I think about it, Meet the Peebles might be a little even crazier. Yeah, uh, Bad Taste. Now, this is the one where you jump right into a, I like movies that you jump into their world instead of seeing it where the origins are. It's like all of a sudden you just plop right down the action. Apparently, aliens are uh, going into humans or they're wearing human costumes. What is? I've only seen this movie twice, so I forget. Yeah, they're wearing uh, human costumes and they're attempting to take over the world by basically... Actually, that's not really what it is. They're actually using Earth to uh, harvest humans as meat. So yeah. it's kind of like turning uh, Earth into basically a giant uh, farm where they herd up humans, and then they use them for like fast food burgers on other planets. <laughs> it's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah, so 
you, at first you don't know what's going on. These people are being uh, chased around. There's basically two protagonists in the beginning of it. And is there, is, am I one wrong? One is Peter Jackson. One is Peter Jackson. Is he actually fighting himself? Is there a sequence where he's, is he the guy with uh, the brain piece that falls out? Is that Peter Jackson as well? Uh, quite possibly. I, I know that, you know, this movie took four years to make and, uh, you can see there's a lot of different takes. Um, and they basically just use the same four people to do every role. Yeah, it's really so, smart though. They made this movie for like a shoestring, like thirty five thousand or something like it, that. It was very cheap, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, but there's a lot of uh, energy going on in it. Uh, of course, it is very low budget. It's in like the hills of New Zealand, where you know there's no real sets, there's no real actors, but the gore factor is off the charts. Holy yeah, it was. Shit. It's the gore is still like I showed this movie in high school to a couple people uh, in my film class, yeah. and they were so horrified by like how gory it was and like how visceral it was at some scenes. Like, remember that in the first scene when um, his when he shoots part of his head off and then, you know, it like slumps down and just like oozes brain onto his shoes? Yeah. It's... Like, that was the moment they're like, I can't watch this anymore. Uh, I will admit to this, I have never finished Dead Alive. It makes me sick every time. Oh, man, I love that movie. I know, I want to get through it. It seems like the kind of thing I get through, but every time, especially the part where they pull the rat out of the mouth, you're just like, oh, whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, (laughs) I just want to throw up. Uh, The first one, of course, you got, like, uh, really good alien costumes, considering they had no money. I don't know how they did them, just good puppetry. Yeah. Uh, Also, I believe uh, everybody in the alien costumes are, again, just the four main characters basically fighting themselves. (laughs) Yeah. Good editing, because you can really not, you really can't tell. I mean, the only time that I got suspicious was I was like, that sure looks like Peter Jackson without a beard fighting Peter Jackson with a beard. Yep, that happened. There is a scene in the movie that makes my skin crawl to the point where I almost want to throw up. I have to look away. Is uh, There's a scene towards the end where the good guys are pretending to be, well, one of the good guys is pretending to be one of the alien creatures. He's drinking the ooze. Yeah, dude. Uh, Peter Jackson's character barfs out, like regurgitates every human thing that he has consumed. And it's all green and gross. And he barfs it up into this huge punch bowl. And then everybody goes around sucking it up. And as it gets to our uh, uh, the protagonist, uh, oh, boy. I, my, I just like started like curling up like, oh, God, don't do it. And then he does it. And he's like, mm, that's kind of tasty. Yeah, well, I thought it looked pretty tasty, actually. <laughs> I think it's the idea, the fact that it, 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 someone barfed it up, and then it's actually just like the bone and grizzle of humans. It did look like it was uh, steaming a little bit. It was a little hot. Uh, there's really not much plot. It, it's just basically uh, they try to get into their base. They try to get free numerous times, and there's just insane amount of gore. But the thing that kills me is when uh, Derek... Uh, Derek has the best lines, too. Uh, yeah. Derek's never run... Uh, he has a part of his skull pops open, his brain flies oh, out. Oh, God, that's the worst part to me. Yeah, he steps on the brain, and then uh-huh. he decides to grab alien from the, or well, some of the alien brains and shove into his own, because that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And uh, wraps it up, whatever, but that starts to affect him, and he starts having, like, uh, alien tendencies, I think. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if he had alien tendencies. He did seem a lot more violent. Yeah, I thought that was the reason. I thought maybe he was just, like, crazy from it or something. Uh, but, yeah, this is a public domain title because Peter Jackson didn't know how to file the paperwork properly. 
Yeah. So in America, you can find this on pretty much any. God, it's like a thousand copies of this movie. Already. Yeah, the, yeah, basically. Uh, one another, uh, uh, one of the funny bits about that at the end when he uh, chainsaws through the guy, when he goes like front through his head out of his ass. Oh my God, that was amazing. Yeah. What, what do you say? It was like he's reborn or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like being born again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they do the same joke in uh, Dead Alive at the end too. Huh, uh, I guess I had to finish it, it just to get to that point. Slightly different, but yeah, it was all gross. And uh, I, yeah, I fucking I love this movie. It is so ridiculously awesome that you just can't help but love it. Yeah, it's really over the top, and, it, and there's gonna be some people who are not gonna be like into this kind of movie. But if you love like Evil Dead Two or The Deadly Spawn, you know these uh, humorous, over the top, campy but gore fest, you know, uh, Reanimator, you know, movies like that, you're gonna dig Bad Taste. Yeah, I would say, especially if you love Reanimator, this is very much akin to it. Alright, our second movie is Meet the Feebles, which I remember finding on the shelf. This this came out right as I was getting into, like, cult edgy movies. And I saw this on the shelf when it says, I think it says, uh, The Muppets on Crack. And I was like, <laughs> uh, I gotta see it. So me and a friend got it, and we just had a hoot. It was a, It's a highly entertaining movie. Insanely vulgar. Yeah, and at the same time, it does have kind of an interesting message to it, too, that doesn't hit you over the head. Uh, it's very much about just how... Uh, it, it, you can kind of compare it to how Disney works, how it just sort of... Uh, it's difficult to explain, but it, how it just sort of uses up people and spits them out at the you know bottom of the industry. Right. It, you know, this idea of this whole kid-friendly uh, front, but it really behind the scenes is kind of tragic. So it's a, it's a commentary on uh, like the kids shows like the Mickey Mouse Club, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Where once you get to a certain age, we're just dumping you. And also at the same time, it's a play on Muppets. Period. Just yeah, taking exactly. something that you're very comfortable with, that's very family friendly, and just making it the most twisted shit you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, like the main star's got AIDS. Uh, there's so much drug use. Lots of drug use. Uh, Vietnam flashbacks. Uh, there's puppets yeah. fucking. There's you know what gets in my brain is the the fly that little fly reporter that bugs the shit out of the rabbit about his disease yeah. his voice is irritating for some reason though it just sits in your brain and just like Ugh. yeah well I, I was always able to rationalize that because it's supposed to be annoying so yeah. i could just easily no, it's just it's one of those voices like you find yourself hearing that voice later <laughs> or maybe just crazy. flashbacks yeah and also all week i will say this Meet the feebles, meet the feebles. We're not your average, ordinary people. That has been stuck in my head for four fucking days. <laughs> oh my god, it will yeah. not get out. Very catchy, great, uh, great little tune. Uh, you know what, though? I always loved uh, the Sodomy song. Yeah, that's a funny song, uh, too. I also, in high school, showed everybody that one. And they <laughs> I was like the sickest person I've ever met. <laughs> I uh, I actually got confused. I had rem- the second that song played, I remembered it, but I thought it was from a Monty Python skit, and I was like, "Wait, I thought this was from Meaning of Life." Shit, what? what? You know, this whole time I got confused, but uh, it's nice to clear that one up. The songs are great, though. They're really well written. It's uh, it's kind of the way uh, South Park. You know, they had a real guy come in and construct decent songs for an insane movie. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing I heard is that the machine gun that the hippo is using at the end, I realized that, you know, out of context, people think that this, this is like the stupidest thing they've heard, that a hippo is using a machine gun. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> from what I've heard, that uh, machine gun was actually real, 
and there was a huge uh, problem with it on set, obviously. Um. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't afford the blanks, which is weird because yeah. I would think that blanks would be more ex or less expensive than actual bullets, but no. They actually used real bullets and destroyed tons of the set, and I, I don't know if people were in danger or what, but it seems like they would be. Well, yeah, of course, shrapnel and stuff like that. Uh, I would hope that there would be a lot of precautions there, but I guess no one was hurt, so... Well, yeah. back in the day, I, I noticed that a lot of the older movies, whenever they have shooting scenes, it always seems to be like, yeah, well, this is where they had buckshot, and we all had to make sure we ducked in time or we get our head blown off. You're like, holy shit, couldn't you think of something else? <laughs> So, yeah, the dangers, especially of independent movies, you always hear crazy stories of those low-budget independent movies that have no money, and they just have to come up with whatever they can, and eh, it can be dangerous. Yeah, I, I, say, I say if you're going to use real bullets, you might as well um, use them correctly, like I think Scanners used a real shotgun uh, for the head blow-up scene. Really? A shotgun is what they used? Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. That's a that's a good movie for trash cinema. That, those movies are crazy. I love all of them. Even Scanner Cop. I didn't even know there was more than one. Oh, there's five of them. Uh, there's oh. the original one, of course, with uh, um, I have in the moment. David Cronenberg directed it, but then it sat on the shelf for ten years until uh, a sequel came along. And so there was two and three back to back, like within like six months of each other. They were straight to video, and those did very well. And they decided a couple years after all that. To spin it off into Scanner Cop, a cop with the power to move things with his mind, and the the special effects are crazy. And then there's another one after that called Scanner's War, and that was it. Huh? That's, uh, a, weird, that's a weird tangent. Sorry. I don't think I'm gonna watch. I don't think I'm gonna watch those. I mean, I liked the first one. I'm not sure if I liked it that much to be interested in trying to check yeah, out the other. Well, I'll say it's the first one is really slow. There's some great gore effects, and Michael Ironside kills it. But yeah. uh, it, the second, third one, they really decided to amp up the gore and uh, action. So uh, I always thought the first one was a little dull, especially the star. The star is so bland, so Canadian. Anyway, meet the peoples. Um, Sorry. That was, I, <laughs> I'm not going to edit that out. If, if People, if you get the chance, go watch those Scanner movies. Uh, our minds wander a bit. <laughs> uh, uh, meet the, you know, I used to apologize all the time, but I said, ah, screw it. <clears throat> uh, meet the Feebles, you know, that's the one where I think... He got the uh, attention of the New Zealand Film Commission. They were going to fund it, but then they actually saw the final product. What they pitched, what he pitched them, and what the final product was were two different things. So they pulled their funding uh, during production, and I think that uh, they had to like wander around try to find someone to invest to finish it off. It was kind of a weird beast of a movie too. The uh, it, it very much played as like three different kind of movies in one. And for the most part, it, it, it I think it worked out really well. Uh, some of the parts that are supposed to be sad felt honestly a little sad, and the parts that were funny were pretty funny. Just the the one part that just felt that was just so off kilter was the end with the you know hippo using the machine gun, and having that like weird moment where she's singing. Yeah, I, I you know going from like that weird action scene that kind of didn't work. And then moving into like the uh, the tragedy of it was felt really weird, but I could like see what he was going for, and I think it might have worked. But I, maybe for just using puppets, maybe it just doesn't evoke uh, the reaction. I don't think it's supposed to. Yeah, one of the things that uh, makes me uncomfortable about the movie, and I think it's because they shot it. It looks like it's shot in Super 16, uh, yeah. whereas 
uh, bad taste is really brightly lit. It could be shot in the same stock, but because it's all stage bound, it makes everything really dark and murky. I feel like I'm watching almost like a snuff film. Like I'm watching something I shouldn't be watching, something I would just play at grindhouses. It it, uh, it makes you feel a little dirty at the same time, like you're intrigued because you're not really supposed to be watching something like this. Yeah. And uh, the funny, I was looking, it says this was originally a TV series pitch. Can you imagine this playing uh, yeah. on television? Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember reading that. As it, I, who is it for though? I mean, it's. I mean, all the characters are like really brightly colored. Uh, kind of felt as puppets, so obviously kids will want to watch it. But who the hell is going to watch that? It would have to be something that like aired Saturdays at midnight. You know, something yeah. real culty. Unless they have like a cable station like HBO, I can't imagine it ever would show on one of their networks. I don't know what it's like in Australia and New Zealand, what their whole setup is. But in England, you know, they had, especially during the 70s, they always had like these late night cult shows that were just pushing the boundaries. They have a little bit of nudity, a little gore, a little swearing. And maybe they have that in New Zealand where Meet the Feebles was something they were really trying to push. But maybe once it went to a movie, they're like, well, now there's no restrictions. Let's go insane. Let's have... Uh, rabbits barfing, pus flying out their face, heads exploding, people having sex, just <laughs> huge hippo tits. Yeah, the disintegrating, what, that, didn't that dude's face, or his whole body maybe disintegrated? What was he, uh, sniffing Clorox or bleach or something? I, which character was it? That, I can't remember. Yeah, I, well, I can't remember. He was doing some kind of drug deal, the Walrus guy. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and it went wrong, and that's when they dipped him. Yeah. The dip, just like in uh, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, that, that was great. Now, this sat on the shelf for six years before it came to America. Um, you know, in 1989, that's weird. So Southgate Entertainment, that was a, a distribution company in America. They always did, like, real low-budget directed video stuff. But I'm pretty sure they were out of business when this came out. I don't know who owns it right now. I think it's actually out of print. So if you can find it, go for it. But I, I saw it on YouTube. Yeah, you can find both of these on YouTube, especially Bad Taste, because it doesn't have a copyright. Right, and uh, Dead Alive, I'm going to have to attempt to watch that someday. Yeah, I you should, yeah, try to sit through it as best you can, because, I mean, it only gets gorier from there. Oh, great. Yeah, it, I do oh. remember walking in at the end, a friend of mine was watching, and he had a lawnmower strapped to his chest, and he's taking out a bunch of zombies that way. Yeah, that's the end. That's, uh, what was it? I think there was, like, six different hoses in the lawnmower and each one was pumping out like two gallons of blood oh great so yeah it's all over the place uh there is so much amazing such such amazing gore and in such different creative ways that it's just so fun to watch uh if you can handle it i mean it's it is just all it's messy it's all over the place I think that uh, Meet the Feebles has now fallen under public domain. There's a lot of people putting them out on Amazon in their own little covers. The cover, by the way, is the hippo with the machine gun. <laughs> they oh, changed hey. it. I like the original cover. This is really cheap and generic. Hmm. And uh, what is it you think that made him sell out? I don't know. More money, I guess. Maybe. I mean, isn't that the end game? I guess, I can... but at the same time, well, I wonder if he misses it at all. You know, the do-it-yourself kind of filmmaking. Well, I'm sure he does. I mean, he does. I, I would, I'm sure Lord of the Rings was a passion project for him in a lot of ways. But he, there are, uh, when you watch those movies, there is kind of uh, hints of his old style. Like, he does kind of have a style of his own that he uses. And he does try to incorporate uh, practical effects in his movies. 
And so it, it seems like there's a style that he really enjoys doing, but I guess he just doesn't like doing gore anymore. Maybe that's just kind of beyond him now. Though he does seem to have an interest in the ugly, you know, the unusual. He'll take something that uh, I think normal society or, or mainstream picture would treat as the villain, but he put a lot of heart into King Kong, as long and kind of boring as that movie is. And The Hobbit, you know, they're unusual creatures. He, he has a way of taking something that we might treat as, oh, that's such a poor little thing, but giving it a heroic edge, something to admire instead of pity. Like a hippo with the machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's it on Meet the Feebles for me. Anything else you want to say about him? No. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm a much bigger fan of Bad Taste, uh, but Meet the Feebles is definitely a good watch. Uh, I would definitely say for sure you gotta watch uh, Bad Taste. All right, and for me, Meet the Feebles is what I prefer. So you win both ways. Both are up on YouTube. Check them out. It's totally free, man. No excuses. And uh, that is it for us here at Trash Cinema. If you want to check us out, we are up on Facebook. It's a group instead of a page, so that way everybody can take part in uh, promoting or talking about any trashy movies that they admire or truly hate. This is uh, an episode where we actually like both movies, which is kind of the trend lately. We first started off like just grabbing whatever movie we thought was shit and tearing it apart, but everybody does that. I like to find something that's kind of uh, forgotten, hidden away, and, and championing it. All right. Sorry, I didn't know if you were going to say anything. I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, thank you, Kersey, for being on the episode, and everybody, uh, have a good night. All right, thanks for having me. Alright everybody, welcome to the return of Trash Cinema, Season 2. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host is Kersey. How's it going, Kersey? Hey, it's good. It's uh, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a show that we actually discussed a few months ago, but getting it together is, it just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. It's kind of my fault. I apologize. Um, awesome. I find myself on our 200th and like 70th episode now, and... Uh, I realize that maybe I might be insane by having a full-time job and five regular shows. So, uh, yeah, I think I might I might have an ad, a problem. I might have to get some help for this. Uh, are you thinking about, like, ad revenue, or are you going to be uh, having people fund it or something? Nah, you know what? I, I wanted to. I wanted to do a Kickstarter for a while, but then I just started thinking about it, and I'm like, every time I hear an ad in a, a podcast, it drops the show almost immediately into some weird little void where it's just like, um, I was listening to this. What's why do I have to listen to a bed commercial for five minutes? So okay, yeah, that's it's true. kind of annoying. <laughs> and um, so basically, with the show, I, I think for now it's just going to be uh, a free for all, just whenever you want. Uh, maybe down the road, I don't know. Uh, I was thinking about it, but for now, it's just a return of Trash Cinema, which is a spinoff of Video Night. Basically, we fit, uh, we pick a, a either a double feature or triple feature of trashy movies, or a certain topic we'll discuss. And this episode, we wanted to discuss the Punisher movies, uh, which you didn't know there were three of before we started recording. I did not know that, because we talked about Punisher and Punisher Warzone, and I didn't even know there was a third one. Uh, the very first one is Punisher with Dolph Lundgren. You... Oh, shit. Yeah. I did not know that existed. How, how did I go this long in my life and not know that? <laughs> 
so what it was is, since you haven't seen it, I'll just explain real quick. Uh, New World Pictures was purchased from Roger Corman back in 1984. And the company that owned that decided to also buy Marvel Comics around 87. 86, 87. And they had a couple hits on their hands, so they're, you know, they were uh, a little heavier in the budgets they could spend. And they had planned to, uh, I can't remember what the first movie they were going to do, but they, they couldn't get it really done in time. So they did The Punisher. They did it for $10 million, which at the time was their most expensive uh, picture. And all of a sudden they discovered, oh, shit, all of our movies bombed. We have no money left. Um, the banks are calling, and uh, guess what? They just shut us down. Well, we have The Punisher and like three other movies. What are we going to do with those? Uh, auction them off for nothing. And uh, the first Punisher movie was sent straight to video, I believe. Um, it was before Artisan. It was Lionsgate, then Artisan. Before that, it was Live, IVE. There's been so many different names for this company. And it was sent straight to video, and I think at the time it did very well on video, but not enough to get a sequel, and... Uh, it's not a very good movie. It's not a terrible movie, but it's not a very good movie. Well, what's the storyline about? Because I'm actually kind of a fan of uh, the Punisher comics. Um, so it takes out the skull. It takes out a lot of the mythos that we know about the character. Uh, basically, okay, then never mind. Fuck. What it is, basically, he is a monologue. I mean, it's Dolph Lundgren, so he doesn't say a lot. He just kind of looks. He looks like uh, Frank Castle. He looks pretty fucking demented in this movie. Um, he lives well, that's all like, you need, I suppose. Yeah, he lives like in the sewers, and he has like his little lair under the underground, and he's taken on the yakuza, but the yakuza has taken this head of a mafia family's son, and uh, he wants to kill the mafia guy, of course, because you know that's what Punisher does. But he realizes, uh, in order to really defeat the yakuza, who are much more dangerous, it is time to. Uh, pair up with the guy and they take him on together but then it comes to the head and he's got to take out the, the you know, it's one of those things where you kind of see it coming no matter you know how well it goes he's still going to have to kill pretty much everybody uh, so Jesus Christ I mean this is like Punisher meets Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or some shit kind of it's around that time and it's real grimy I'll give you this it has a look to it that's very unique and uh, I'm trying to remember the only problem I have with it is the fact that oddly enough it's directed by a stunt guy Mark Goldblatt and mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have any exciting action sequences. You think if you're going to hire a guy who does stunt work, that you're going to have a few at least great pieces of action, even if the plot and the dialogue suck. But no, it's not there. Yeah. Hmm. I've heard that there's a director's cut of this movie. It's much longer and it has more story to it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, it was written by Boaz Well, do you, mean, do you want that from a Dolph Lundgren movie? I don't even know. <laughs> you know, there's a movie he did right after this with uh, Luke Gossett Jr., who is the co-star with him in this Punisher, uh, called Cover Up, which is actually really intelligent. It's about uh, espionage, like in the Middle East, and he can actually act. A lot of people won't give Dolph Lundgren the credit for being intelligent, but the dude has a degree from MIT. In, he's, like, a, bio- he's a scientist, isn't he? Yeah, it's like biochemistry or something crazy. But, you know, he, he dug yeah. chicks, and he wanted to be famous, so he went on to that instead. Yeah, well, God bless him for that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, written by uh, the director of Remember the Titans, Boaz Yakin, who I believe did another superhero movie. I'm trying to look this up. I feel like he did another one. Um, hmm. No, but he did write From Dust Till Dawn 2, which, that's kind of grindhousey. Uh, even as a huge From Dust Till Dawn fan, I have not debased myself enough to watch the sequel. Oh, you got to see three. Two sucks. Three is awesome. 
Is three the one with Bruce Campbell, or was that two? Two is the one with Bruce Campbell. You think he's in a lot of it. He's not. He's in, like, one minute of it, and you feel like you're so ripped off. And it's just really dull. It doesn't really move very well. Story's not too bad. But that third one, there, it's crazy. There's some batshit insane stuff going on there. And you're like, this should have been the second one, not the third one. It's set in the Old West. You know, watch those, watch both sequels, and, and then when you're ready, we'll discuss it on this. Because that is definitely a trash cinema triple feature. That sounds like good, but I'd also like to add on top of that the uh, Netflix from Dust Till Dawn series. Because I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. I've only seen part of the first season, but I really want to uh, take the time to watch it all. I, what are they on, season three now? I think so. I actually uh, kind of lost track. The The ending of season one kind of left me a little unsatisfied, so I stopped uh, watching. All right, so with the Punisher movies, kind of in turmoil because, you know, the first movie went straight to video and the rights were in limbo. Marvel had trouble selling a lot of these comics rights. Uh, it wasn't until Blade came out that all of a sudden Marvel became like a, a company to go to. And Artists and Entertainment, who had done the release of the first Punisher movie, decided, hey, let's let's reboot the whole thing. We, they bought the rights for that. Captain America, Iron Fist, uh, Man-Thing, and I think a couple others. But of the, they only made Man-Thing, which is really the worst Marvel movie ever made. And the Punisher... But I have to say that the comics... There's a comic series called Giant-Sized Man-Thing, yeah. which I think is probably the... Uh, I, it was it was it was horrible. First of all, and then also I, I just find it hilarious that it just sounded so much like penis. Oh yeah, definitely. That is metaphor. I was just walking around a giant sized man thing. What's that rated? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think they knew what they were doing with that one. Yeah. Uh, so the one that most of us know is the one with Thomas Jane and uh, John Travolta. Oh God, yeah. Now, how do you feel about that one? Uh, I gotta say, I actually love both of them. I, I think. Uh, I thought it was hilarious where it needed to be. I, I mean, obviously the sort of emotional segments came, uh, just came and went, but the action, which is really what you watch Punisher for, because it's just about shooting people. And I thought the action was, uh, still held up pretty much, uh, pretty well because I only watched it a few months ago and I was surprised at uh, how much I enjoyed it. The thing with me is, uh, there is a, there's, it feels like two movies put together. Jonathan Hensley wanted to make like a, a modern-day spaghetti western, and there's some moments that work so well, but it's so melodramatic that it almost veers off into parody. And uh, especially when it yeah. comes to John Travolta and his wife, you're like, whoa, this is campy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I was actually surprised how subdued uh, Travolta played his characters, um, especially, uh, his, especially his career. Like, um, God, what was... Uh, what was that one he did about Scientology, Planet oh, Earth or something? Oh, Battlefield Earth. That, that thing. Battlefield <laughs> Earth. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And then he also uh, did another a face-off with another huge uh, overacting job yeah. by him. So I was actually surprised how subdued his character was. Maybe it was just a, a an instance of lowered expectations that I actually enjoyed his performance. Yeah, though his wig is doing more acting than he is at some times. You're like, oh, yeah, that's that's fake. Yeah. <laughs> but he's an actor. You're allowed to, you're allowed to do that kind of thing. Uh, he, the weirdest thing is that, you know, Lionsgate uh, took hold of this right as Artisan was going out of business. They, they bought the rights for this and I think Dirty Dancing or something like that and the rest of their catalog. And they decided to open this up against Hellboy. Literally the same weekend, Hellboy and this. Two comic book movies. Yeah. What the fuck were they thinking? That, yeah, I, uh, I, I guess just kind of that old, uh, you know, superhero uh, movie rival that that's always been going on, like, 
you know, DC announced Batman versus Superman. It's going to be a you know a story about you know Superman goes against uh, the will of the government and someone puts him a check, and then you know Captain you know Marvel's like, hey, Captain America: Civil War, we're going to give you the exact same plot, and only like a few weeks later. So <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this has always been happening. Yeah, it's just uh, I feel like it would have been more successful if it hadn't opened up against Hellboy. Both are excellent movies, but there's something about this that sticks with you, especially this the mm-hmm. Russian scene. That scene works yes, so well. Yes, my God. Well. I was wondering is... like, how long into this conversation was going to be before we started talking about that. Yeah, the action sequence. Okay, so basically you have the first action sequence with, uh, you know, that horrible birthday party, whatever, you know, the whole slaughter. And, uh, but with his, his terrible wig. Yeah. Roy Scheider, uh, who I absolutely love from Jaws and Blue Thunder and whatnot, uh, he plays his dad. Mm-hmm. And that sequence really works. And then... Um, if you compare it, though, to the Russian sequence, you're like, this felt like it was designed by someone who used to do Looney Tunes cartoons. Like, it's so yeah, elaborate, so was... well done. The tone is completely there with you. You're, like, right at the whole way. Instead of just shit blown up, you feel like you're in Frank Castle's shoes going through this. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't have anything to add or anything salient <laughs> to add to that one. <laughs> my, favorite is, my favorite is when he grabs that gun. He hits that thing, that little revolver pops out. And the Russian just grabs oh that God. weight, smashes it, and he looks at it sideways. You can see the barrels bent, and he just kind of goes, oh. Yeah, just like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> he just kind of knows that he's fucked at that moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually think he is truly the best of the three guys who have played Frank Castle. But most people start siding with the third and final film. Uh, they think that he is the most appropriate Frank Castle because in the comics there really isn't any emotion. There isn't something you can relate to. You kind of look at the one with Thomas Jane and say, oh, this is... You, you can probably see some studio notes during the script development. It's like saying, well, bring some more humanity to it. You know, maybe women will like the character and then we'll have a yeah, franchise. Have, have a moment of reflection here. Yeah, yeah, have him feel sorry here. Yeah. Now, have you ever seen the extended cut of this? I have not, no. The very beginning is uh, animated sequences. Not full animation, it's more like panels. Uh, Tim Bradstreet, who had done some excellent artwork for uh, the relaunch in the, I want to say, early 2000s, he does a bunch of sequences. Uh, It takes place when they're in the war together with that guy that, uh, I can't remember, he's like his partner. You know the one that goes corrupt later when he's on the police force, whatever? Uh, it shows them in the military together uh, before all of this. And it's only like a five-minute sequence. And it's all those little hand-drawn stills, but with dialogue added to it. And uh, there is some extra footage, though. There's probably about five minutes of extra footage that was cut out that actually develops his friend's character. So you understand why it's more tragic when he has to kill him later. Mm. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, I, I kind of like the whole comic book panels idea. And yeah, some people hate that. They were like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Warriors, but there was a, a director's cut later where he added animated panels to make you go from scene to scene. Some people hate it, some people love it. I'm completely fine with it. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it works well, especially uh, may, maybe not so much anymore, just because comic book movies are sort of the norm. But um, uh, probably back at that time, I think that'd be a great transition to start and then go into you know the. Uh, a full motion or having actors and stuff. I think that would be a cool idea. Uh, so the comic series had hit a wall a big time in the late nineties. Uh, they did. I, I kid you not when they actually, um, they killed off the Punisher, but he came back from the dead and he was like a phantom. Like he was filled with like uh, a spirit that would let him like, like a ghost writer kind of thing. 
and he had like this weird glowing mm-hmm. gun that would shoot like special bullets into people and send them to hell. It only lasted like a year, but th- clearly they had ran out of ideas. Yeah, yeah, that was a low point. I actually no, the low point was when they made him black. Like he got plastic surgery and they made him black. And I don't understand what they were thinking. They did this for like six issues back around ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, even I did not know that. Yeah, they pissed off everybody. They're like, "What the hell is this? This seems kind of weird and racist. What is going on? <laughs> and how's the impossible yeah, face off?" <laughs> Wait, I just said that like Face Off was a true story. Uh, forget what I just said. That it can't happen there either. <laughs> so in the early 2000s, Garth Ennis came along. Uh, he had done Preacher, and he said, hey, let's restart Punisher. Let's bring him back to his roots. And you see a lot of those early stories from Welcome Back, Frank, in the Punisher movie with Thomas Jane. And it's mm. I love the eclectic cast that they have, especially the ones that live in the apartment complex with them. Uh, yeah, I, I I enjoy them. I think one of them was John Panette. Yeah, um, the, the fat one. Yeah, uh, Ben Foster's excellent. Yeah, I was actually surprised he did not play that character up for laughs. Like most comedians who uh, enter in the world of comics, like Richard Pryor in Superman Three, I think. Yeah, well, I think people now understand that most people who are funny are actually usually kind of depressed, and there's a darkness inside of them. And and I think the director was smart enough to play that up. Hmm. And uh, Rebecca remains stainless. Now, she's the one I had the problem with. Every line that comes out of her mouth sounds like a high school student. You know, like that kind of acting. You're like, oh, this is high school play. Yeah, it does. It was very melodramatic, superficial, kind of uh, stilted dialogue. Yeah, the funny thing is I was just reading a – for a short while, Marvel was doing Punisher comics in big black and white magazines. And they actually show the bit mm-hmm. where he's hanging and he sticks the uh, popsicle in his back, telling him he's going to be, you know, he's using the welder on him. Yeah. So it's so a little bits and pieces uh, are actually picked up from the comic and thrown into the movie. So that's, uh, that's something I respect. I'm kind of disappointed in the Punisher movies because they, they haven't yet touched on my favorite uh, Punisher comics, which is Intruder and Return to Big Nothing. If anyone is interested in comics, I suggest picking those two. Uh, I would say those are definitely like the best representations of uh, Punisher. And, and I think Warzone really uh, picked up that tone of the character. Yeah, I, uh, I've read Return to Big Nothing. I haven't heard of the other one, though. How old is Intruder? Intruder? Uh, I would say I think it's around the same time, actually. Oh, oh I got to look that up. Um, you know, the funny thing is I haven't read the comic in a long time. But, you know, uh, there was a short point where they decided to have him go through the Marvel Universe. Usually he takes out, like, you know, mafioso guys and drug lords, like your typical, like, Rambo movie villain kind of thing. But there was a short period yeah. of time where they brought back Punisher War Journal, or, you know, I can't, I'm not sure if that's the right title, but he was taking out, like, Z-level bad guys, like Stilt Man, and just, like, taking a rocket launcher and blowing his head off. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever! Because <laughs> these guys are it was kind of like you don't the know how they survived. Of Marvel. What's that? I said it was kind of like, he was kind of like this suicide squad of marvel at that point kind of yeah you're just taking out all these like lame ass villains you were sick and tired of seeing it's just amazing the can't the series canceled after like i think 24 issues or whatever it was kind of a bummer it but it brings to you to the third movie which has this level of um why not fuck it you know it, it's it really yeah exactly that's kind of what i love about it it's like uh, everything that you love about the russian action sequence is taken up to a new level and that's all of punisher warzone it seems yeah um, 
I would I would probably say I actually liked Warzone a little bit better in just because of how uh, relentlessly brutal it was. Yeah, it, the first time I saw it, and that's it kind of that's, that's who Punisher. Me. That's who Punisher is. He's I mean he's got a he's got a skull as his as like his trademark. So, yeah, what was I was thinking? Uh, uh, I remember when Thomas Jane was in discussion to do it, and Lionsgate wanted to cut the budget quite a bit. I think the first one was twenty eight million. Uh, made a lot of money on DVD. This is back when DVDs were like purchased just willy nilly. Like people had never seen it; they would just buy it. And this is before like illegal downloads. So you know they made a huge profit off it. So they're going to continue the franchise, but they're like, well, we're also intelligent enough to know that it's going to drop. So let's cut the budget from twenty eight million to fifteen. And Thomas Jane said, we can't tell this story on that kind of money, and I, I don't really want to be part of it if it's not going to stay true to you know what the comics are about. Clearly, I, I think they just wanted to cut what they were going to pay him. Because if you watch Punisher Warzone, you, there's so much action, there's so much going on, and they didn't skimp on quality yeah. actors. It, yeah, it really didn't feel like it, any money was taken from it. I mean, maybe the rocket launcher scene, but I think that was pretty par for the course in terms of like the CGI they could do for the time. Yeah, the uh, at least. Well, this one was shot in I think uh, Calgary or something like that, so that saved a lot of costs. Hmm. But it looks like New York. That's the weirdest thing about the Thomas Jane one is that it's set in Miami, and rarely ever did Punisher ever venture out of like one of those major cities to see him down on like yeah you know, at best what we consider like kind of a tropical. It didn't seem like him. He seems like a New York kind of guy or Chicago. Yeah, he's very underworld, which I would say probably the Dolph Lundgren probably had a better idea of like the areas that he would uh, go to. Yeah, I mean, not an apartment complex or whatever, or a van. Uh, yeah, that one actually sets a tone of like, oh, this is how he's able to hide, how he's able to do it, because who wanders around in the sewers? Yeah. It's just too bad the action kind of sucks. And um, Seriously, Dolph Lundgren's gotten a lot better, but back then he was just barely, he was almost a drooling baboon in comparison to where he is now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was I going to say, the, um, there is one sequence I really enjoyed in the Thomas Jane one is with the Johnny Cash style guy. But it ends so awkwardly oh, I, with that little blade thing that looks so terrible. Yeah, that was a really interesting scene. I actually forgot about that until they mentioned it. Um, I, I I don't know. There was something mesmerizing about that whole sequence. Yeah, but the villains in the the third and final film. I mean, those are uh, Jigsaw's. I think his main nemesis, the one that everybody knows, and I think everybody's eagerly yeah. waiting around. I know they were talking to Michael Keaton for a while about being Jigsaw. And this was like in a low point of his career where he hadn't really had any hits in a while. And he turned him down, and I was like, oh, that would have been amazing. That would have been really interesting to see. Yeah, I, I think he would have played it differently than, uh, what is what is the guy's name that plays Jigsaw? I can't, I can't remember right now. Um, I'll look it up. Dominic Senna or Dominic, uh, or, I hate it when my brain goes like this. Um, <laughs> it's Dominic West. We'll uh, fix it in post. What's that? I said, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> I never edit out because I want people to hear, unless we say something that's going to get us like in trouble, like serious trouble, I really don't edit because it doesn't sound like a normal conversation. Most episodes of Video Night that I do with my regular host, Andrew, is edited so tightly that it feels weird, like robotic, because people don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so the original I feel, director... I feel like this one might... Uh, so I feel like this one might need a little editor too. I think my Skype might be a little behind. I, it is. There's a delay, and I don't know yeah. why it does that. It bugs the hell out of me. That's why I switched over to Facebook. So I usually don't have that problem, but uh, I'm not okay. being paid off by Facebook people. Um, <laughs> the original director of Punisher Warzone was going to be John Dahl, the director of um, 
Red Rock West, Joyride, a bunch of like film noir movies that no one ever appreciates but are all really good. Uh, so Lexi Alexander stepped in who had done Green Street Hooligans and I think she was actually the right choice. Uh, she takes it in a whole direction that just says, you want gore, you're gonna get gore. I'm gonna throw it in your face. <laughs> Who's, uh, oh, Ray Stevenson, that's right. He takes over as Punisher and you know he, uh, he really does look like Frank Castle. Yeah, I would say uh, for sure. Um, maybe maybe a little older than uh, sort of the comic book Frank Castle. Yeah, well, you know, I've always been kind of torn on that because when I started reading Punisher, he was supposed to be out of Vietnam. So you're talking, he had to have been at least in his 40s, but then they've reconfigured it to it was Desert Storm for a while, and now they moved it again. I, I, did they change it for Daredevil at all? Uh, I haven't seen that because I'm not really a huge fan of the Netflix Daredevil series. Oh, okay. I really enjoy that. I'm interested in seeing what they do with his origin. If they even bother to attempt to say, hey, uh, you know, his, his family was killed by the mafioso and he used to be military or they're just going to make him like, you know, some other direction. I, I need to get back on there and start watching the show. I think I think his family was killed by mafia. What uh, I, They probably updated it to maybe, you know, it came from Iraq War or something like that. Now, do you think that Jigsaw in this one is over the top, like, too over the top uh not too over the top for you know low budget action movie i don't think <laughs> the uh his brother <laughs> is the one that always bugs me doug hutchinson from uh green mile his is just it's so over the top though it kind of comes back around again and it comes like like you said mesmerizing with how disturbing he is mm-hmm. and they finally add jigsaw yeah, which yeah. is pr- uh, necessary for the character because of the comic book yeah and then who who played that? Uh, uh, I can't remember if he was the chief of police or if he was the captain. Um, that really tall black guy. Uh, Which can never remember his about? name. We're talking about Warzone. Oh, God, you know I saw it in here. Um, you know what? I have no idea. I was thinking yeah. of someone. Uh, else, anyway, I I, I I really liked him in it. I, I love that scene when they have like that guy who's is I think he's sitting down, and then he the cop tries to you know, stop Frank Castle from killing him. And then he just, uh, shoots him in the chest with a shotgun and he freaks out. And it, it, what was hilarious about it was it kind of felt authentic. Like he was so surprised that it happened. Yeah, I don't know. I, just thought, beforehand. I thought his performance was great. Yeah. I like Dash Mihawk in this. He's kind of a goofball detective soap. Uh, I enjoyed mm-hmm. his performance in this. Yeah. I got to say that, I, <laughs> I think with both Punisher movies, they succeeded in having, they, they both had one, exceptional standout scene uh obviously the first the you know the russian one the russian scene in the other punisher and then this one i feel like it's the opening action sequence when he's you know he puts his uh legs in the chandelier and it's like spinning around shooting people which i've actually seen uh, in another movie that's actually kind of ripoff from another movie i mean maybe they didn't steal it but i've seen it before so i didn't seem that surprising but then the gore just kicks in you're just like this is fucked up the first thing he did was cut that guy, that old guy's head off. That was, that was insane. Just to start a movie like that. Oh yeah, old guy in a wheelchair, and then just decapitate him in front of his family. Knives being shoved in people's heads, gore flying everywhere. Yeah, it's like all right, this is definitely a, a max version of you know <laughs> any other Marvel movie. Yeah. Well, oh god, what was um, uh, what came? Did this movie? Did uh, Warzone come out before Boondock Saints? No, it came out much after. Boondock Saints uh, came out in 2000. Boondock Saints 2, though, came out right after this. 
Okay. Well, I was thinking because the chandelier scene kind of reminded me of the that uh, the first Boondock Saints when they fall out of the uh, the air vent or whatever, and uh, they're spinning around shooting people. Can I tell you that I've never made it through Boondock Saints? I've tried twice. I, I don't blame you. Twenty minutes into it, <laughs> I go, ah, oh, this is macho bullshit. But I know people who worship that movie. So if you love it, cool. I I don't get like I was I would be sitting on a bus and this guy and people specifically I remember this one guy was just gushing on and on about it like it was some kind of religion it was so creepy yeah I know people I was in a comic book store and someone said uh, Boondock Saints is my favorite movie I go I don't really like it that much and he's like get the fuck out of the store <laughs> he wasn't really getting you pissed it's like all right. I don't know. I, I think it's serviceable the first time, and then after I saw it twice, I don't think I ever had the will to watch it again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Speaking, I, of, I think a lot of people might like. Yeah. Speaking of Boondock Saints, Julie Benz, who is in the second Boondock Saints, is in this movie. She is unheralded. She is in a lot of genre stuff, and yet for some reason, people really don't champion her for it because she was in Buffy and Angel. She was in Dexter. This Boondock Saints two. Um, there's there's one I'm missing. Uh, right around this time, she did like a trio of movies. Uh, oh, Rambo. She was in the John Rambo relaunch. She was in Saw. Um, and then she had uh Roswell. She's done a lot of genre stuff, and yet for I, I went to go see her at the Comic Con, and it was so barely attended. To me, there's like 25 people in this room that could hold like 400. I I felt terrible for her. That yeah, that's pretty sad. Uh, and. That reminds me of a Comic Con I went to, where I think it was his name was James Wong. I wish, I hope I'm saying that right, but he was uh, Lo Pan uh, from Oh uh, Big Wong. Trouble in Little China. Yeah, uh, I went to go see him, and I I was also kind of surprised at the lack of attendance. He was in like one of the small rooms. I was like, damn it, this guy this guy is a prolific actor. He's been in so many things. Like if you think of Asian actor, that guy is like top of the list. He's oh, been yeah. in everything. Yeah, he's been working for decades. And yeah, my sister went and saw him the next day after I did because I had to go back. Uh, she said he was insane. Like, it was the most interesting show of them all because he did not give one iota of a fuck of what you thought about him. <laughs> yeah, he will He will pretty much say anything. He likes to kind of make fun of people. I think it may be just because he's ancient, he don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah, what is it? And the interesting thing, though, is like he remembers like every line of dialogue in any movie. It's crazy. That like, oh, you know, what about this, you know, this movie you did? And then he'll just start saying his lines. It's crazy how much he can remember. Yeah, it's a weird thing about Comic-Con. I feel like a lot of the actors who really bust in their ass, you know, trying to entertain you, uh, even during the convention, you know, um, they don't, you know, they don't get the respect. And then you get these guys, and I love Bruce Campbell most of the time, but I feel like he's so sick and tired of doing conventions that now he does doesn't he barely even bothers to do it like he'll stand up there he started interviewing people in the crowd i'm like i didn't pay for these people i paid for you so you know it was i don't i don't i don't want to sound like a bruce campbell apologist just because he's like one of my favorite uh film legends but i i feel because i went to go see him in a comic-con i feel like that is part of a character he plays i feel like he plays a character bruce campbell or like a caricature of who he is, uh, and around audiences to like keep up that mystique or whatever. Gotcha. Like I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something. I, I feel like it's kind of a like a, a joke. Like he's trolling his audience. Oh, maybe I didn't get that. Uh, when I felt like kind of a tool for like being like, he sucks. I'm leaving. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, I, it I, could I be. I don't know. The first half hour. I feel like a jerk now. 
Oh, well, I don't know. I, maybe it was just because the, you know this. The time I went to go see him was right as about right about when the new Evil Dead was coming out. Oh, okay. Uh, so with Punisher, do you feel like he should ever return to movies, or TV now is a proper domain? Because you know budgets on TV shows have gotten so much better that they could do this on Netflix. I think they are going to do a series on Netflix or like HBO or something like this. Yeah, I think Netflix just said that they were going to start uh, because of the success of the second season of Daredevil, they're going to do a Punisher TV series. I really did. Or Netflix series. I wanted to see Thomas Jane come back, but maybe just enjoy your time and move on. Perhaps. I, I, I would like to see a Punisher movie. I think it's about time to get some of the good storylines uh, for Punisher. Like, I think Return to Big Nothing would be a great movie. I think Intruder would be a great movie. Um, again, those are just like my two favorites, so yeah. obviously I want to see those. But I yeah, actually, now that I think about it, maybe Return to Big Nothing should be like a, a season one or something. Yeah, that's how I was thinking. These stories sometimes are better when they're laid out. I mean, The Punisher isn't the kind of thing you need to spend $25 million uh, you know, on a movie. You can do a two or three million dollar episode, but the whole comic, you know, one season, like 13 episodes, is that whole story. So you get all the proper details instead of being compressed. Yeah, but I guess one of the back one of the uh, problems with that is just having a big budget means bigger action sequences. So maybe splitting it up over a TV series, you might just get like you know five or six middling uh, action sequences rather true. than just like a few, like a couple really good ones. Yeah, because as good as the fight sequences are in Daredevil, they're very tight. They're they're always like in some small room, and there's no real. Um, anything cinematic about it. It's just like, that's a really good fight sequence, but it also, you can tell it's very low budget. Yeah, I haven't really been blown away by an action sequence in a Netflix series yet. All right, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Let me ask you this. Of the three, which, well, you didn't know the first one existed, so of the two, which do you prefer? I would say Warzone's probably a better use of your time. I would say the previous is your better use of time, but I gotta say, when you watch that Russian sequence, you get mad because you're like, why couldn't the whole movie have been like this? That's my problem with it. Alright, so that uh, is it for us here. Check us out on Facebook under Video Nights. You'll see a section with our normal episodes, but then you're gonna see the return of Trash Cinema sporadically throughout the next few months. We're probably gonna do a 13-episode run of trashy movies, uh, grindhouse movies, or movies that were bombs, torn up by the critics, that we actually enjoy. And uh, thank you, Kersey, for helping me with this season. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, everybody, have a good night.
Welcome, everybody, to Trash Cinema. I'm your host, Michael, and my guest this week. What's up, Kersey? Hey, what's going on? Well, this week we're going to have a sci-fi double feature. Uh, we're going to discuss Crawl and Yor, the Hunter from the Future. Two massive flops, one wildly hated, and one that has actually built quite the cult following over the last 30 years. Uh, have you ever seen either one of these movies before? I've seen a little bit of Your Hunter from the Future, and I have heard nothing but bad things about Kroll, and after watching it, I can see why. Yeah, it's there's something kind of appealing about it, but it is a very complicated mess. And um, I would say you probably missed this whole run of post-sci-fi or post-Star Wars, like, cash-in kind of movie. So this is probably, like, something you discover till like, had you even heard of this before? Oh, I've, uh, yeah, I've heard of these movies uh, before. I, I mean, uh, quite a few years ago in high school, I was way into um, these kind of crappy sci-fi movies. And then after a year or two, I just I just realized how much time I've wasted. <laughs> I think the only one that was like a Star Wars kind of cash-in was Last Starfighter to be any good. The rest of them are either an overblown mess or they're, you know, there's kind of a cutesy quality to some of the low-budget ones, but... Uh, this is one where Columbia Pictures was clearly like just going for it. They spent forty-seven million dollars. I think only one other movie was more expensive. I think that was Superman, and they lost their ass on this. Now, let me ask you: What did you feel like after the movie? Did you feel like you wasted your time, or was it like one of those things where like it was entertaining, but it was also kind of stupid? Honestly, I gotta. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, I was actually depressed after I watched it. Oh. It was it was so bad. And it was not, I mean, I'm one of those people where someone says something's bad. I kind of have that assumption of, oh, it must be like funny how bad it is. And I kind of thought that about Kroll. And then after watching it, I can't, it just made me so sad to have sit down and watch the entire thing in one sitting. I'm so sorry. Uh, The first time I saw this, I think was around uh, 2003 or 2004. They had released this massive special edition with like the comic books and tons of special features and everybody was like going crazy for it. I'm like, you know, I've heard of it, but I never got into like that kind of genre really, except for Star Wars. So I checked it out and after it was done, I was like, what the fuck is this built, you know, all this fan following about? I have friends personally that post stuff on their Facebook page, like, oh, they're talking about the weapon, the glaive, and how fun Crawl is. I'm like, I don't get it. Uh, It was just kind of a mess, but I watched it again after all these years, now that I know that it's not any good, and then I find myself looking at more from a technical aspect. Like, holy shit, they tried the first morphing sequence, you know? Uh, oh, you know, yeah. for the time, this was like pre-CGI kind of stuff, you know, like the best you could get in special effects, but I'm bothered by the plot too much to really get into it. Yeah, exactly. It seems like they had uh, quite a few good set-piece ideas, like um, the guy in the spider web place. I I, can't, I, don't, I don't know any of the characters' names or anything. I couldn't <laughs> follow anything. But anyway, the, the old mystic kind of guy who was walking through that spider area, I thought that was really cool. Um, and I, I like the weapon. I, 
I like the glaive weapon. I like all those things. But with a terrible, flimsy story and horrible acting and just like no ease of transition from scene to scene. Yeah. It just it was too jarring. Uh there's a lot of D&D style rules in this. Like, they're just there to be there. But if you start going like, now, wait a minute. Why does it have to be this way? Why does he have to climb up this mountain to get this thing, to put his hand in here and get the glaive? And, oh, they're just the rules. That's how it is. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of offended by that. Because right now I'm DMing for uh, a, a couple games from for my uh, nerdy-ass friends who still play Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. And I would, I would not have a plot that flimsy no no what i'm saying is this seems like to be a cash in on the popularity of dungeons and dragons at the time and they're like well they have all these rules so we're gonna have these rules but behind it there's no real thought it's just like well he just has to do it because he has to do it the, the, while the spider scene is one of the best set pieces and i love stop motion animation it bugs me to no end it's like oh well you can only get across by taking the sand in your hand why well, it's the only reason that I'm still alive, but I'm giving it to you, and now you got to carry it over there. But if you lose the sand, you die. Why? <laughs> yeah, I guess it up. is kind of like, uh, yeah, it's kind of like video game uh, physics or video game sort of logic, where you're just kind of like, oh, here's something of importance, and now you have something that you can't get by without using it. Uh, uh, yeah, I can see what you mean. I, I always just like, well, why don't you just put it in your pocket? You won't lose any of it. And when you're dying, you'll still be yeah. alive. Just put it in your a pouch, anything. Yeah, there's there's so many better ways to, to do that. I also, sorry to jump off topic, kind of, but I just have to mention that comedy relief sidekick, oh. I know that they did that a lot in uh, 80s and 90s movie. I think this is probably the worst one oh, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. seen. Well, it was the most annoying. Sword and Sorcerer most movies seem to always have a comical sidekick. There's uh, Matthew Broderick and Lady Hawk. The... Marlon Wayans in Dungeons and Dragons. I can't remember his name. Grant Heslop, I think, in Scorpion King. Always seems like there's one guy who's always like the clumsy stumble bum. You know, like ooh, ooh, ooh. why is asking? Yeah, the, um, I don't know. There's also in the uh, um, Road Warrior that guy with the flying oh, bicycle the thing. Captain. Yeah. That was my awful. I thought I thought that I thought that one was kind of the lowest of the low at the, at the time I first saw it. Uh, Road Warrior, um, but now I can kind of appreciate it. Um, <laughs> when it, when I see movies like this with the comedic sidekick. Yeah, it's, uh, I still trying to, I, I must have not been paying attention at all when the little kid was involved. I'm like, why is there a six-year-old? Because this is a truly, everybody's dying. People are dying left and right, and there's this little kid along with them. Do you remember why he was with Yeah, him? this is funny. This is like the only thing I can remember from the movie uh, with any clarity is, yeah, that kid, uh, his dad was also a mystic, and he was possessed by... The, the de- one of those uh, evil slug demon things, and he went to go kill the main character, who I forget his, his friggin' name. He had him, like, walking in the forest to, like, try to find something or other, and um, then the other mystic find... Or, no, it was the Cyclops uh, found the original okay, guy's yeah. dead body in the lake, and then, yeah. That's weird, because I... I uh, it seemed like... I like the fact that he gets those group of bandits, and, uh, of course, I, I find myself forgetting almost every single character's name, and I find myself going, oh, yeah, Liam Neeson, oh, Robbie Coltrane, everybody else, like, oh, I, I recognize him from BBC shows, but, I, I, yeah, I couldn't remember the character's name at all. Yeah, exactly. Is this one of Liam Neeson's it, I don't know, it, roles? It seems like it's one of the first things he ever did. I don't even remember Liam Neeson being in the movie. What? Uh, was he... Who was he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's one of the guys that makes it almost to the very end. He's one of the axe warriors. Um, he's real thin, kind of sly. He has a thin beard. Um, yeah, he makes it to the very end. I think they're up on the mountain. Robbie Coltrane gets hit, and then he goes up. 
And he's like, oh, I'm not much more for this war, or something like that. Some cheap line that makes no sense. <laughs> no one would say when they're dying. I, yeah. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, so, and there's a lot of Star Wars quality in the villains, which is uh, kind of like a given. A lot of these movies got those guys in the big plastic suits. But then they have like these Yeah, weird, standard time. There's like um, a weird alien residing inside of that suit, which is like, oh, wait, huh? Yeah, it's like a slug demon or something. Yeah, so I don't know. Are they were they created by the main villain, or are they part of his race? Who are they? I have no idea. I, I like the way I interpret it is that he's a, a, a wizard of some kind, and he possessed these slugs, or he got them from another dimension, and just he uses them in these suits. I don't know. It's like uh, they're my minions. That's what that's what it is. They're just his minions. It just have to be really hideous instead of cute little yellow guys. I kind of feel like it's an earthworm gym type situation. <laughs> where they're like magic suits and he puts slugs in them and that's how it works. Yeah, it's kind of funny that it takes over the universe, you know, Planet Crawl, which apparently it's not pronounced Crawl because if you listen to the narrator at the very beginning, it's Krell, which they should have changed the spelling. <laughs> yeah. That, that just shows you how little attention people even pay to this movie or like how just soul-sucking it is to have to sit through it where you just can't even remember the, how to pronounce the title. <laughs> like nobody checked the beginning. It's like, he clearly said Krell. Is he wrong or are we wrong? We should probably fix this before we print up the posters. Oh, it's too late. Fuck it then. It shipped yesterday. Damn it. The Marvel comics been out for two months. What were, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. and it's another one of those where they kidnap the princess, they take her place, which is video game rules. It seems like every video game uh, after Super Mario Brothers was about kidnapping the princess and the hero has to go save her. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want a good version of that kind of story of like renaissance type uh, setting with mystic adventures, you should just watch uh, Army of Darkness. Yeah. It's funny that both movies we're discussing, I guess I subconsciously chose them this way, were both movies that combine like sword and sorcery with uh, Star Wars, like futurism, lasers and, you know, bow and arrows. What that, what was with the lasers? The lasers are, are, are guns, which can kill somebody in one hit. And yet they still use swords sometimes. I didn't get that. <laughs> I guess it was like, you have a weapon where like literally one person can take over this whole castle, but yet you still resort to using swords. Why, why would you do that? Why would you change it when you have the best weapon? Yeah, it's uh, it starts off. That's the weirdest thing. The movie's kind of schizophrenic. It starts off as a romantic, like Princess Bride kind of movie, like swashbuckling adventure, and then switches over to Star Wars real quick, and then it goes over to Lord of the Rings and D and D, and then it goes back again. And it just feels like somebody that was at the head of Columbia Pictures is like, all right, let's just make a hodgepodge of everything that's hot right now. Yeah, it's like that. It's like that idea that a lot of people complained about. Uh, Batman v Superman is like. Um, when you try to put everything in because you're like, oh, we'll have a little bit of everything, you end up pleasing nobody. Yeah. I think this is like a perfect example. Yeah, it's weird, though, that the villain comes to this planet, he kidnaps the princess, and he's in love with her, he wants her to marry... Why? How does he even know who she is? He just got there. Also, he's a slug prince. Why is he even interested in uh, human women? Yeah, you would think that from his perspective, holy shit, that's disgusting. Look at her, she's gross. Yeah, she has arms and legs. That's hideous. Does he have his own home planet where he has babes there that he can hit on that are 12 feet tall and look like, you know, the creatures from Humanoids from the Deep? Maybe he's just like the reject chud or something. <laughs> uh, like fucking 
And he was killed by like one hit with that glaive, so I, I feel like he was probably the weakling. Yeah, that was definitely a Star Wars moment. Like, let's get an iconic weapon, you know, that he can control. And even at the end, he's trying to pull it towards him, like using the Force. Uh, did you, yes. Did it lock up to him biometrically or something that it knows who's controlling it? Or I don't understand how that even works. Oh, well, dude, it was Metachlorians if we learned anything from uh, <laughs> George Lucas Star Wars. Uh, I know better than this. make up other words. Um, yeah, it just, no, I, I, I hate, I, I just, I just hate the, the, the weapon. Like they set it up to be like, oh, this is a magical weapon. It's going to be awesome. You know, when should I use it? It's like, or he wanted to practice with it, and he's like, no, 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 you mustn't. When the time comes, you'll know. So you feel like, okay, it has only one use. So what is this use going to be? <laughs> and then he used it to carve a hole into the prison. Oh, that was awesome. I guess all that build up for nothing. I just don't understand. Did it have a low power source? I mean, or did, was it building up to something? Like, you can't use it or it's worthless. I, what was he meaning? Why didn't he just use it constantly to save other people's lives? Exactly. Yeah, it just didn't make sense. Like, the idea of, like, using the weapon at first seemed like it was only a one-use type weapon or it was only meant for one thing. But he used it a couple different ways. So, like, why couldn't he practice with it so he could build up his ability with it and be better at it? Yeah, it's it's completely just like nonsense. Just oh, we're just gonna make it this way. Why? Uh, stop! Uh, stop questioning things. <laughs> Speaking of saving lives, that sand in the that uh, quicksand scene where they're trying to pull everybody across is one of the most like what the fuck moments I've ever seen in a movie. First off, they should have held together immediately. Like when they started swinging, whoever the first person was to the other side should have locked on. Everybody holds hands and they pull each other across. But all of a sudden, you see them all go. And then all of a sudden turn around and go, oh, wait, we left the guy behind. Turn around. We left Jim. Yeah, yeah, and they left the bag and this guy, and he throws the bag. Why didn't he hold on to that bag and then everybody else grab onto the bag and then pull him closer instead of, keep stretching, keep stretching. Oh, we're wasting a lot of time. Come on, the tension is building. I know. We keep pulling threads. This thing's just going to be bare Yeah. after a while. <laughs> These guys give up a lot, too. It's like, oh, I got hit in the thumb. I'm done for. <laughs> I think that is pretty accurate for the time because you got to be worried of infection. That's true, but it would take a little bit longer. Uh, there's another scene where the Cyclops, uh, they're about to go up to the mountain. You know, they, they have their horses and they're about to see the mountain when the sun comes up. And he's like, I cannot go with you. I must stay here. And no one questions why. I didn't why. get that. My time is done <laughs> here. Are you are you dying? I don't, I don't no, know. It, yeah. uh, I gotta watch it's like all those Dracula movies. <laughs> it's like all those Dracula movies where it's like, I can take you this far, but not any further. Yeah. You know, it's just like this bullshit reason to like build intensity where it's like, oh, we got this big tough guy. He'll protect us. Oh, nope, he won't. All right, well, I'll just go instead. And by the way, can I just say Cyclopses are, or Cyclopsi? I don't know how you say more, yeah, plural of that. Cyclopians? Sure, let's go with that. Cyclopians. I have to say, if they're not intimidating if you make them as tall as everybody else. That's not scary. <laughs> I know, he just, oh, I mean, he just has poor vision. That's it. Yeah, like, when you imagine Cyclops, you think of, you know, video games like God of War, where they're, like, ten times your size, or you, th you think of, like, um, uh, uh, what was it, was it Oedipus? I think it was Oedipus, or... Um, Odysseus, when he was fighting the Cyclops, yeah, and it was, you know, the, as tall as a mountain. And, you know, you get to this movie, and he's just like, oh, hey, I'm just like you, except <laughs> I have one eye. <laughs> I save money on glasses. I like to buy monocles. <laughs> and, oh, my God, like, he was just normal. There wasn't anything bizarre, but I guess the idea was like, oh, Cyclops are just like us. But, like, 
there aren't any Cyclops in real life, so it doesn't matter. Make a mystical of some, you know, have them yeah. oh, talk strange, have like a deep far. voice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, of course, he decides to change his mind and, and comes into the mountain to help him, and he dies immediately. It's like, I, okay, I guess he can hold big rocks. That's his point. And all of a sudden, everybody starts getting knocked off. My favorite uh, ridiculous scene besides that uh, quicksand is later when they're in the room and the little spikes are coming around to stab them. They're not even trying. Oh my to god! Away. I forgot I about that. I swear that at some point the one the guy grabs it and aims it like he's like, no, 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 it's supposed to hit my stomach. Here, everybody, special effects guys, down here. Yeah, because it's like he has like a pad so that it doesn't hurt him, but yeah. like they kind of fucked up and it was a little off. And that didn't make sense either because those sticks also cut off the exit, but it had so much room you could just jump or just kind of step over it. Yeah. Like it, it really didn't have that sense of danger. And besides, all the tips were rounded and looked yeah. like it was plastic. So. <laughs> Uh, and it was one time someone hit one and it was obviously rubber because it like waved a little bit and then he like screamed in agony but you could tell it was just stupid i fucked up the shot yeah exactly uh yeah it's one of those that really shoots far like it, it was aiming so big you know like oh this is gonna be the number one movie of the year and then afterwards it, clearly people are like what were we thinking you're all fired <laughs> yeah i just can't stress this enough that for anybody listening, if you haven't seen Kroll and you hear people talking about, about it, especially us, and saying like, oh, it must be a so bad it's good. It's not. It really isn't. Please don't watch the movie. Yeah, well, I still actually, I'm going to go ahead and say I enjoy it. Uh, it's so bad it's good because there is, that score is amazing. From a technical standpoint, it's fun decrypting the special effects, but you're right, the acting is pretty shitty and the logic is just almost non-existent. I don't know. I'm, I was so bored out of my mind watching it I, I maybe it's just because i've been spoiled by better movies because i'm younger so that going back to movies like this i'm just not impressed yeah, but yeah i can totally see that i see, i can see well, how are you again 23 i'm about 24 oh 20 so this whole type of sci-fi movie was uh long gone by the time you started watching sci-fi and yeah it's gotta seem so campy at best campy yeah okay so on to our next movie your hunter from the future and let me just one second. Here we go. We can live in peace with our people. He is from a future world. Trapped in another time. Searching for his past. A hunter of incredible power and strength. In his quest for his origin, he and the woman he loves must fight hostile tribes. Battle deadly beasts. Try to survive the violent forces of a newly born Earth. He is the warrior known as Yor. His medallion holds the key to his destiny. His courage makes him master of a world in chaos. His enemy uses the weapons of tomorrow to enslave a primitive planet. But his passion for freedom will set his people free. You're the hunter from the future. You know what kills me about that is they give away the big secret in the title. It's like they didn't even think about yeah. it at all. Yeah, I... <laughs> I have to say really quickly that almost everything in that trailer was a lie, by the way. Almost none of that happens. The passion he has. No, no, he has no passion. I don't know what you're talking about. Even the movie. No, he... Have you seen the poster? They show things that are not in the movie whatsoever. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the poster. It's, 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 it's pretty Star Wars, is it not? 
Oh, it's very Star Wars. That was kind of a thing at the time. Yeah. You know, like the Conan the Barbarian poster was kind of like this too. Someone clenching onto his yep. leg, and he's like, oh, with an axe. Yeah, this is uh, uh, this is actually a six-hour miniseries from Italy that got cut down into ninety-minute movie form. If that, I think it's actually like seventy-two minutes with padded with credits. But that might be why it doesn't make any sense because they cut so much out. But I get the feeling it was still shit in the first place. Yeah, well, yeah. The problem is that if they cut it up and at least it was in, it had like a constant entertainment, you can say like, oh, well, they cut the best parts and maybe dropped a few plot points. But I mean, even still kind of cutting it down to 90 minutes is still a little boring. Yeah. I mean, I would say this is definitely better than Kroll, and I would say if you're if it seems interesting, go ahead and watch. I didn't mind it. I don't think it was great. But if you like Red Brown screaming into a camera, go ahead. Yeah, it never gets kind of, That's kind of what he did. Yeah, he, he screams in every movie. Oddly different every time. you think that he would have the same scream, but each time it's like equally insanely bad. All right, It's so kind of like the, the Nick Cage of the day yes! in that sense. Very much so, except this guy clearly never had any actual training and never won an Academy Award. I, I can't blame Red Brown for being a bad actor. He was never trained. He was a football player who got picked to be in Big Wednesday. I think that's the movie, if I remember correctly, a surfing movie. And then after that, he just kind of kept doing these little little Italian movies and small American action movies. Yeah, I mean, you can. Well, the one thing you can give him, at least, it seems like he does enjoy acting. And he really does try. He's just not that good. Yeah, I mean, you can have all the guts and, like, uh, glory for it, but if you don't have the skill, then <laughs> it's almost better this way, though, than people who do have skills and completely squander it. Mm, yeah. Now, you know this is based on a comic book? Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, it's an Italian comic book. We don't get a lot of those comic books here, uh, the European style, because everybody here is obsessed with superheroes. But over there, they do sci-fi, western, romance. They do every type of comic book, which I give them credit for. By the way, uh, interesting to note, because I was in Europe a couple of years ago, uh, their comic books over there, like uh, uh, translated versions of comic books are really cheap. Like the first uh, Punisher meets Spider-Man in the U.S. will run you like a hundred bucks over there. It, like It's like ten dollars. They're just giving them away. Wow. Is it, are they original versions they, I, or are they reprints? No, they're they're like uh, reprints, you know, translated. But I mean, even still getting a reissue here is still very expensive. Oh, yeah. Uh, to break down the plot, so they're just not really into the American superheroes over there. No, I don't. I just I don't. I wonder why the movies are so popular when you know they don't have that history with the series. But I guess an exciting movie is an exciting movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this movie basically, uh, um, what's the plot? If you you probably have a better attention span than I do. I think it's basically just fighting dinosaurs and then it turns into fighting uh, robots. Uh, well, actually, kind of. I kind of do like the plot because uh, it's very similar to uh, the original Rikkyo uh, comic book storyline or manga, I guess they call it. Uh, it's basically um, this man, Yor, uh, is is in this uh, this place where you think it's the past, and uh, as it goes on, you realize he's from the future, and uh, they they had placed him there, I guess, to find a suitable bride or whatever to bring about some new utopia. I don't really know. And... Well, I, the, the Rikio comics really did an interesting idea where um, the, the main character was like the son of a deity. And that's kind of where this movie was going and then kind of like muddled it at the end. I don't really know what, what, what was the purpose of him being there. I actually thought it was because, maybe I'm confusing movies, uh, for some reason I thought that he was being hunted and he was sent to Earth 
to hide among the cavemen or whatever, or whatever planet this uh, prehistoric world basically. Oh, it's a holocaust. I forgot. It's a holocaust, and he's being hidden down there so the alien people can't find him. Uh, I'm getting a headache just trying to remember this. <laughs> but it seems yeah. like one of those plots you've seen a lot before, but this was like early on, so I think it was the first movie to really do that where they're hiding uh, a prince among earthlings. Mm-hmm. So. I, I honestly don't I don't really remember. I, I There was something with the medallion. There was also a lady there with the medallion who, was sister, who, died, who died suddenly for some reason. I forgot why. I remember that the barbarian woman tried to kill her, and that was pretty funny. Yes, who has excellent 80s hair. Nowhere else will you see this. <laughs> and, uh, what, what, what else about it? Uh, the, the theme, uh, I, I love the theme, by the way. That's I, I'm kind of sad they didn't use it for the trailer, though. Yeah, it's pretty rocking. It's definitely of its era. Yeah, it, it definitely has that electronica 80s kind of thing to it. <laughs> uh, there's lots of dinosaur fighting, and then it turns into just basically... Uh, I think it's weird when you see cheap futuristic movies and it's supposed to be a spaceship but it's clearly like oh this is abandoned uh warehouse oil what is this place you know it's like one of those things where obviously like the business went out and they like well we have this to rent and it doesn't look like a spaceship at all yeah yeah um (laughs) it definitely was not buying it that much i um it just seemed better as just a story of uh, a, a caveman i don't know like once they introduced the sci-fi part of it it just got really boring and dull and it you kind of it's that moment when you see the aliens or whatever in the spaceship you just kind of go oh one of these movies okay yeah you know it just had that that sigh of all right i guess i just have to accept this now yeah when it turns over to that it feels like a cheap Battlestar galactica like of the 70s ripoff like okay we got the shadowy guy with the cloak telling robots what to do the robots are clearly barely paid for like it's just so bad special effects yeah and his little side yep, uh uh, there's a delay, is there? There's another delay. Yeah, there's a, there's always a delay. That's not. It's weird because I never had that problem. Like, recent, whatever. Uh, listeners, I apologize if there's a delay. I'm just gonna like <laughs> say something and then I'll shut up for a little bit and then he'll talk. All right, cool. Oh, am I supposed to talk now? <laughs> that was a t- damn it. <laughs> I was wanting to see. You. <laughs> Go ahead. Ah, damn. All right. Okay. Son of a. All right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I was saying, I just I I, I think the prehistoric. A uh, bit with like the um, the fighting other cavemen for territory or whatever seemed it seemed like that would have been a better idea. I also really like the the part where he what was it like took a pterodactyl's wings or whatever and used it to glide down and drop kick somebody. It, it needed more. It needed more stuff like that yeah, instead of just here. kind of yeah instead of just kind of to, it, trying to insert a serious plot. It, it should have just been kind of like fun silly. Yeah, it's uh, the Italians are strange. They never seem to like take the wild and crazy aspect it's just um it seems like they're so super macho and it's got to be so much life and death especially in the 80s especially from this director i don't know if you're an italian movie fan um but uh anthony dawson aka antonio margariti margariti uh he did a bunch of these movies during the 70s and 80s where they were like um italian low-budget ripoffs of popular american movies and they're always just so what's that Never mind, I, I, uh, I confused them with, some, with somebody else. Oh, but they're wildly entertaining, but uh, there's times when you're like, oh, you could go in this direction, you chose not to. Why? Yeah. I don't know. There's not much to say about your, uh, because it's not, it's not, that's not terrible. Um, it, it's not great either, so it's just kind of this gradient of meh. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know. There's not much to say about it. I say, you know, go see it if you if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, it's goofy fun. I like uh, Red Brown. Just just like you said, going for it. Uh, the wig is absurd, though. That wig is just it's crazy. A crazy blonde wig. Yeah. Um, and of course, we got uh, '80s spray curly hair. Um, oh, and his uh, sidekick uh, clearly not fit for the role. I, they, whoever was originally in that role must have dropped out. And they're like, "We have this guy. How is he going to do these stunts?" <laughs> yeah, he was about 80 years old, I think. <laughs> it de- yeah, definitely felt like it. Did he die? I forget. I, did, I, I feel like he died at the end. He might have. He dies in so many movies that I actually get confused. He's usually he's in a lot of movies as the sidekick. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm almost certain that you know he swings on the rope and he does. You know what? I think he does die right after he swings off and saves somebody. Oh, and he flips upside down, and it's a miniature, and it looks so ridiculous. <laughs> Forgot about that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. Clearly a model. They couldn't have paid a stuntman to do it. I don't know, like, some, sometimes it's kind of forgivable, you know, when you have a movie that's sort of ridiculous like this, you can just kind of forget about it. Yeah, yeah, it has, yeah. Uh, it has like, a lot, it feels like a movie from 20 years earlier, like, it feels like a, a Ray Harryhausen movie, just without, like, amazing stop motion. And everybody had pretty immaculate uh, English, by the way, for being cavemen, I thought that was kind of weird. Teeth. Everything looked clean. Yeah. Except for the old man. I mean, the... Yeah, well, they also, their uh, rival tribe did look a little grisly, and they didn't really have proper grammar, but they still spoke English well enough, so you know what they're talking about. Yeah. So I guess I would say you're right. Uh, Yours is probably the best of the two choices. Uh, I still say Crawl is kind of entertaining just from a technical aspect, but Yor is one that clearly it just did what it could with, like, it was probably made just on, like, a couple million dollars, and uh, uh, it's hard to find, though. Uh, I would say probably find it on YouTube. Uh, I couldn't find it on YouTube. I had to find somewhere else. All right, everybody. You can so, find about twenty different versions of Kroll on YouTube, though. That's nice. everywhere. <laughs> um, so I don't know what we're gonna do for the next episode. We're talking about possibly covering uh, Itchy the Killer and Ricky O, which I have to find the proper version of Edie because I thought maybe it was not supposed to have subtitles. <laughs> so I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it's supposed to have subtitles. Uh, yeah, Itchy the Killer. I gotta say is like one of my favorite movies so i hope we get to talk about it okay everybody check us out on facebook under retro rocket entertainment and thank you kersey someday we're gonna figure out how to do this without the delay i have no idea why it's doing it we don't even live that far apart no not really uh yeah this is this sucks all right everybody (laughs) let's end it on that this sucks (laughs) yeah that's it i love yeah it's a great way to end a podcast all right cool all right good night everybody Hey everybody, welcome to Trash Cinema. Uh, this episode, we're going to go with my co-host selection. Uh, we're basically going to be discussing Ricky O and Itchy the Killer. And, uh, Kersey, what made you select these movies? These are just some of uh, my favorite movies back when I was, like, looking... When I was, like, really deep into, like, kind of the, the schlocky, violent action movies. Um, and these are just kind of the two that kept uh, coming up over and over again as I would go to uh, cheap theaters and stuff like that. Oh, really? You saw this in the theater? I saw Ichi the Killer in the theater. I didn't see Riccio. I was going to say, because you probably would have been about, what, six or something at the time, and whoever let you in. <laughs> not, not when not when they came out, of course. I mean, like, later on when they were doing, you know, like like um, the Hollywood Theater does their, uh, their uh, trash movie nights and stuff like that. 
Okay, yeah, and the funny thing is, the two movies are extremely violent, but wildly different. I actually kind of enjoyed Ricky O. I thought it was just an insane ride, and, uh, you know, it's tons of gore and wild, crazy action. It's insanely over-the-top acting. Itchy the Killer kind of fucked me up. <laughs> it was supposed to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's burned into my brain, and I can't get rid of some of those images. Yet, I still don't know exactly what the movie was about, where I had no problem whatsoever with Ricky O. Yeah, Ricky O, because uh, both of these are based on manga, and I, I'm not really a weeaboo, but uh, I do kind of enjoy the uh, those two um, comic series. And I gotta say, Ricky O uh, just adapted, sort of, uh, ad adapted it for a, a solo movie, whereas... Uh, each of the killer uh, tried to do the comic book into movie format and just kind of failed. But it was a spectacular fail. What did you say earlier? You say weeaboo? Yeah, those are, it's like a derogatory term for white people who enjoy anime. I never heard of that before. You said that and I was like, oh, obviously the audio just went because you just said a nonsense word. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, to explain the plot, since this is your choices, go ahead and guide uh, how you want to discuss it, and I'm just going to go along for the ride. Okay, well, I guess we'll start with Each of the Killers, since that was probably one of the more controversial pick. Um, so, Each of the Killer is basically about a man named GGE who uh, has some sort of um, intense struggle with the Yakuza. He's basically in the out group, and he assembles sort of his team of... Um, you know, criminals and um, extreme uh, personality types into his own sort of uh, miniature gang that's sort of seen as like the lower end. of But they do offer a, a service, uh, murder for hire, etc. And GGE's number one weapon is Ichi, which is the um, Japanese number one. So that's kind of his number one guy. That's kind of his top dog, his, um, his main weapon, if you will. So basically... Uh, GGE uses Ichi as a weapon to sort of uh, scare all the actors, hiring them, etc. So it's kind of a power struggle where GGE is playing multiple sides to try to come out on top. Okay, For so what I don't know, I guess just power. I mean, that's kind of that's like the most basic uh, kind of overarching plot. There's a ton of uh, details in there. Uh, wait, you want to talk about the movie or no, no, just keep no, talking so you can fix it? Hey, everybody, we had an audio problem. I damaged something. So go ahead. You were in the middle. You're uh, saying something about GG. You know, he's getting his rival group against the other ones. And all of a sudden I hit something and it just kind of went crazy. All right. So GG is basically uh, this guy who has his own sort of uh, super team, his own sort of uh, Justice League, if you will, but for evil. And he acquires these people with extreme personality types. And they basically are hired by other Yakuza, and sometimes they go out on their own and do sort of the dirty work that the Yakuza main bosses don't want to do, murder, theft, etc. So, Who's the guy with the blonde hair oh, with the, the slices all over his face? Because I can't figure out that character. I, I have to tell you, the first time I started is, watching this, I had no subtitles, so I had to go back and find a file to add the subtitles, and then it started to make sense, but <laughs> it's still, I'm lost. Yeah, that would be Kaikihara. He is, I'm pronouncing that horribly, excuse me, but... He is uh, part of the, he's like number two in the uh, Anho gang, which is one of the main Yakuza families uh, in this story. Um, as far as he is concerned, he is under the impression because his boss is killed by Ichi in the opening of the movie. And his interpretation, because they clean it up, is that he was kidnapped by their rival gang 
And so that's kind of where the majority of the movie is. It's kind of this misinterpretation of who's uh, really fighting who. So he thinks it's the other gang. And so he captures and tortures uh, one of the other guys, the other Yakuza's main guy. And that sets... Disgusting. Yes. Yeah, he puts hooks in his back and hangs them on the wall and pours hot oil over him. It was quite horrifying. Um, Yeah, not as bad as ripping the cheeks off. Yeah, that came a lot later, though. But anyway, there's a a lot of torture in that movie. But anyway, um, so in investigating what he assumed was a kidnapping turned out to be a homicide, and he figured out that it was GGE's gang, and GGE uh, gets to the uh, the rival gang of Kakihara and convinces them to finally kill the other members of the Yakuza from the rival gang. However, that goes horribly awry, chaos erupts, and um, they end up basically killing each other. Have you ever seen Yojimbo? But what's Yojimbo? I have not seen that movie. I have heard about it, and I've wanted to watch it, but I have not seen it yet. This is a demented version of Yojimbo. It's like taking the bare bones of the plot and really twisting it. And uh, you should watch it. Yojimbo has actually been done uh, as Fistful of Dollars uh, for the Western audience. Cool. Uh, yeah, uh, I definitely want to see it. Is it on Netflix right now? I have no idea. I don't have Netflix at all. <laughs> I don't have streaming. It sucks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll definitely check it out if I see it on there. Um, but I think uh, the overarching plot is what it is. And But I, I do think where this movie shines is its main antagonist and its hero, or, you know, anti-hero, which is Ichi. I really think that this is probably one of the best hero-villain stories. It kind of takes the extremeness of... Um, it's kind of actually... If I can explain it, kind of like Batman and Joker. If you think about it in the context of Joker being the ultimate masochist, as in he wants Batman to beat him up and kill him, whereas uh, Batman's sort of the ultimate sadist where he enjoys beating up criminals. Right. It's kind of like that idea. Where Ichi... Yeah, you totally see that. Yeah, where like Ichi has this complex where he has these sexual urges that he can't release unless he physically hurts people. But he doesn't like hurting people. He's a very weak, submissive person. But when he's put in that extreme situation or when he is just so sexually frustrated, um, he has to kill somebody. Whereas Kakihara is someone... Yeah, he's being hypnotized as well. But that is part of his personality that he can't ignore. So it's just kind of like um, GGE kind of picked him up and then hypnotized him to kill certain people by telling him that the people that he's killing are people who abused him as a child. Um, Let's see, what else? And Kakihara, so on the other end, he enjoys hurting people but he gets much more pleasure as sexual gratification from being hurt. And that is the reason why he tries to find his boss anyway, because he has a, a sexual attraction to his boss, not physically as in sexually, but he enjoys that his boss will chain him up and beat him up and slice his, uh, his mouth open and stuff. So it's a very sadistic love story. Yeah. Now the end makes sense to me when itchy has been, uh, shot a couple times and he's really broken emotionally because he's had to kill. Is that his brother or is that his? Who is the guy he kills at the end? Oh, uh, that's just his friend, like his only friend he's ever made. So as I thought that was his brother, but at the end he completely breaks down emotionally. And then Gigi, uh, he's basically like, "Who's gonna kill me now? Who's gonna? Who's gonna be my rival?" It's like it's the only way that. No, it was Ka- it was Kaiki it was Kaiki Hara who was killing oh, himself. Or I'm terrible at this. Sorry. I was up there, Gigi. Yeah, I know. It's their names are weird. But, you know, he's begging for him to finish him off because it's the only way he seems like he knows how to exist as long as he has some sort of rival that he can do battle with. And without it, he's empty. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's also just kind of standard for Takasha Mike to have these really strange, uh, disjointed endings anyway. But um, yeah, there is at least in this there is sort of a semblance of an of a reason for his ending. In fact, his whole movie is very much like his the endings of his movies, where it's just completely chaotic and crazy. Which is why I really like this movie. It really does the way it's just filmed and the way the dialogue works. Like the that the actress, I can't remember, I can't remember her name, but she'll speak Japanese, Chinese, and English yeah. uh, randomly, where she'll just change languages. And I, I do think that really does sort of it. It really is filmed in the style that that it's supposed to be. It's just wildly chaotic, and everything's happening, and it's very fast paced at times, and sometimes it slows down. Some scenes will be shot in one long take, and some scenes will be very disjointed like that. So I do, I really do appreciate uh, his style. For this you know movie. what's funny is I didn't realize who it was. I got confused on the directors. I thought it was Takeshi Kitano for some reason, and I've seen many of his movies before. And I was like, oh wait, I thought Kitano did like you know just basically the Asian Scorsese style films. What the hell am I watching? <laughs> and then I realized later I looked at. Oh, you're talking. Are you talking about the talking about Beat Takeshi? Uh, yeah, I think his real name... Doesn't he go by Takeshi Kitano sometimes? Yeah, but his, like, nickname is Beat Takeshi. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's who I thought it was. And then I was watching this going, oh, I'm really wrong. Yeah. Are the rest of his movies like this? You know what? Actually, no. I... He did Audition and 13 Assassins. Or 13 Samurai. Uh, He's done some really, really good movies in the past that are... I mean, I don't mean good as just, like, this movie's good. I mean, like, actual... Uh, films that have some level of prestige and are really well known throughout the world, so it was kind of weird for him to go this style. Yeah, it's pretty extreme. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of, but extreme, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I was just gonna say last thing is that the trailer, or at least the tagline of this movie, is "Find Love and Die." So I just wanted to point that out because I think that really does emphasize <laughs> that really doesn't sort of embody what the movie is. Yeah, it's a perfect. It's it's a marketing that actually precise instead of just let's pick a generic thing that people relate to. You know, mo- it seems like a lot of posters or taglines are either reused, like oh I've seen that on a poster before, or I'm like I don't even know what the hell that means. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but when we talk about extremes, let's take it to the second movie, uh, Ricky O, um, which is uh, almost like a Evil Dead, Peter Jackson over the top style of gore. So much insane amount of blood, but it's not like disturbing. It's just like holy shit, that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could, it can be disturbing for in some scenes. I mean, I had my friends watch it and uh, you know twist around and writhe and pure agony as they're watching what's happening but they also can't stop watching it's fascinating it's it's, it's not a good movie but it's fascinating yeah definitely this is this is one of the only cases where i would say well, watch the uh watch the english uh, uh dubbing of this movie it is um, it is amazing how inept it is well you were telling me that i think you think it's one person which it would not surprise me it does sound like one. I haven't looked it up because I don't want to be wrong on this, but uh, it, I I do honestly think it was just one person doing every single voice. Uh, there's a character in there that is so disturbing but funny at the same time. Is about two thirds of the way through, they introduce like this man baby, and he is just every single second on the screen. <laughs> I want to keep watching because I'm like, what is going on here? That guy, I think he's supposed to be like 12, but he has a beard that you can see in some scenes. Or like the lighting is like underneath the, the double chin, and you can sort of see a beard. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, so, what's the plot yeah. of Ricky O? Okay, so Ricky O is about 
a man with unbelievable strength that uh, had killed somebody in cold blood. He had murdered somebody for uh, killing his girlfriend, and now he's in prison, and he's just trying to survive. He does. He's sort of a. He's kind of a peaceful man. He doesn't really want to kill people, but is constantly put into extreme situations because this is a futuristic uh, type of movie where Japan has privatized prisons, which are not necessarily run by prison guards. They're run by inmates, but the inmates have, uh, for the four separate wings, northeast, south, and west, are run by separate heads. Um, boy, I cannot remember the name. Um, do you remember any of the names of the heads nope, of the gang? I got nothing. Nothing. But nope. I, I know they have okay. weird superpowers, and I don't know how they got them, if that's just part of this world or were experimented on. That's just part of what happens. It's not explained in the comics either. It's hyper-reality. Yeah, people of extraordinary strength or skill. Like, um, I know that one of them is named God, and he's the one that uses the, the needles and strings. Which was cool. That had to been a difficult thing to film constantly uh, with that flying. It must have been reverse footage or something. It would. Uh, I know that some of it, well, yeah, some of it was and some of it wasn't, which makes it especially hard, especially when he was like throwing wires into people and then throwing them up in the air. And I don't know how you would reverse that. So there was some great special effects in this movie. Yeah. I guess it was supposed to be a huge hit and, and they spent a ton of money on it. And then golden harvest, uh, almost went bankrupt when it came out and no one cared. I, I yeah, I, I think maybe just cause it has almost nothing to do with the comic book. I mean, it, it, the entire comic series of Riccio, if this movie, um, God, how do I explain this? Basically, what you see in the movie is only like the first four or five comics in a 75 comic series. So it was a very short period of time. But the way the, the, the way the movie was filmed made it seem like this was the beginning and end when this was only like a piece of the entire series. Well, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've seen Fist of the North Star. The movie is just a small chunk of the comics. I don't know if they were trying to launch a franchise, but... The way the movie ends is like, oh, that's it. That's the end. We've got everything wrapped up. And clearly, if you've read the ma uh, manga, uh, it's not even close. Yeah, yeah, that kind of that happens a lot with um, trying to make a movie out of a long comic series. I don't know why people just don't bother making it actual TV series, but they usually don't get the kind of money that they want to make that vision a reality. So they kind of have to compromise. Yeah. Well, nowadays you could do it. Like look at preacher. Uh, I know they're pushing so hard for a while for a movie. And I was like, that's just, no, it doesn't work in the movie at all. And then take me to AMC fits the comic perfectly. I haven't watched it yet. I've heard some bad things and I'm not a huge fan of the idea of, uh, yeah, I, I've like heard the origins of the preacher story and this just doesn't really appeal to me. I don't think. Yeah, it was at the time I read it like crazy. But we're talking like 15 years ago, and I was a completely different person then. So I don't know if I'd even enjoy it now. Yeah. I have yet to watch an episode. Oh, okay. Then we're both in the same boat on that one. Well, I like to do the whole series now. I don't like waiting around for episodes. I'm a short tension span for one, and too impatient. So I like to just grab it. And yes, I know I'm usually behind to see two, but at least I get to see it all at once. Yeah, that's really one of those things, especially with uh, Walking Dead. That I, I feel like this past season was really hit or miss for a lot of people, and it was especially controversial with some with some episodes. But I do think that people who watch the series in one go instead of waiting week after week are going to look more fondly on this past season than other ones. Yeah. Well, you know, t back to uh, Ricky O and stuff like Fist of the North Star, you can do this as a series now. And I think since the Asian market has grown so fast, so, you know, so big, uh, it's possible to attempt a series like this. You just have to be like 
somewhat frugal with the ideas. I think all, the movie's almost too big. Like there, it feels like um, there was a point where I was like, "Oh, it's wrapped up," and I look at the time code. I'm like, 45 minutes. I've only been watching this for 45 minutes. Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, actually, it's interesting you bring that up. In terms of each of the killer, there is a prequel story uh, that was done in anime, and it was actually pretty good. It, it, I mean, it was a little it was a little cheaply done because there's not a huge demand for it. I mean, you can't even find the comics in the United States. I had to find it online for pe- for people who are big fans to, to translate it into English. So, hmm. thank God those people exist. But <laughs> um, they did. <laughs> they attempted an anime. Uh, it's like a forty-five minute one, and it was really good. I mean, the, it looked exactly like the comic. It was word for word. At least the first, the the opening of the movie was from the comic. Everything else was sort of made up prequel story. But for what they did. For what they had, they made the comic come to life. Like everything was perfect, to down to the last detail. So, I just hope that there are fans of the series and the movies, you know, fans like me, who would demand like an actual series because I think it could work. Now, did you read the manga first or the movies? Oh, I saw the movies first. How did you discover Ricky O? Because I, I think most people discovered it on Daily Show. Yeah, that was that's actually how the movie's advertised on the DVD box, so people will actually watch it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. Like, like, I, <laughs> for people who don't know, before Jon Stewart, it was Craig Kilborn, and he had five stupid questions, and right before that would start, you'd see the guy smashing the head and exploding into gore, and people were like, what the hell is that? And then, you know, the words started getting out. And I have actually seen, I totally forgot that I had seen it before, about 2003, 2004, I watched it at a friend's house. And, uh, but I, I just like amnesia except for the gory stuff. And then I watched it now and I'm like, it's terrible, but I get it. And, and it's actually kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, where I, I found out about this just through a friend recommendation, how he found it. I never asked. I don't know why, but, um, it, it was, a, it was probably back when I was in high school, he told me about it. And, and this, uh, this friend of mine wasn't a high schooler. He was 23, 24. He was a weird guy in a back alley. Hey, have you seen Ricky O? <laughs> Uh, no, he was like he was this uh, he was this little rich kid whose parents bought him a store for his birthday, and it was like a records and movie store, and I would just hang out with him, and he told me about it. Wait, we know the same person. We know the same person. We've had oh, do we really? I totally forgot about this. Uh, I forgot his name, but it was over in Beaverton, wasn't it? It was Jer. It was his name, Jeremy. Yes, yes, it was Jeremy. Okay, yeah, we are talking about the same person then. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. The funny thing is, I think I actually met you there once, and like six months later, you started working at Target. Uh, it was right before he closed his shop. Yeah, it was one of those oddball shops where I used to find crazy uh, VHS, like stuff that I'd never. Yeah, that would definitely that definitely sounds like his store. That is weird. I did not. I don't remember ever seeing you until Target. No, it's it's like the second I saw you, I recognized you from somewhere, and I think we had talked me like for a couple minutes. You were with uh, not Jeremy, but the guy who ran the shop with him. Yeah, that was yeah, that was. Uh, I don't even know if I should say their names, but his name was Sean. There's a ton. There's a ton. There's a ton of Sean's. Whatever. Yeah, it's like a thousand Sean's out there. It's not like there's just one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, you know the Sean that's in downtown Beaverton who used to own a store. Yeah, that's really specific. Uh, No, it's nothing. We're not saying anything (laughs) bad. We're just saying that was one of those shops. It was a cool shop that had all sorts of oddball stuff. And these days, uh, most people reject that. They they don't last very long, which is kind of a shame. Uh, unless you have a lot of financial backing, like the way they are in the city, you know, with um, 
What's the big record store? There's like four or five of them. One of them is... Oh, I, I have no idea. Are we talking about like everyday music or yes, something? Yes, thank you. Everyday music. You know, they have a lot of money pouring in there so they can stay alive. But, you know, people who own like these little odds and ends kind of shops, just they don't last like, very long. But that's where you usually find like the cool, peculiar stuff. Yeah, exactly. I would go there every week and I would just like, what are the shittiest things you got? I want to look into this. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you for these selections. Uh, sometimes I find myself going to mainstream or just making uh, selections based on, oh, what's cheesy and, and terrible. But it's nice to find movies that are a legitimate trash cinema, but there is some redeeming qualities about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that um, you don't uh, find a lot. I mean, well, I think it is something that you actually can find uh, more in um, more Asian and uh, more yeah more uh, movies that come from asia yeah, japan and especially they do a, a ton of weird weird ass movies maybe someday we'll get to negative happy chainsaw man is another one i like oh wow never heard of that one uh, i'd like to, i'd like to explore yeah. some european the italians in that kind of era of the 70s and 80s they were putting out some really great stuff that most people look down on because he either had a star that was past his prime or nobody it was about you know, Giallos, I don't know if you know what that is. those are, but uh, they're like the murder crime movies of the 70s and 80s. Uh, they're, they're trash cinema, but some of them are fantastic. All right, well, yeah, we definitely should talk about it. All right, so uh, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment, and uh, we'll be back next week with another double feature of trash.